<laughs> and we're live. Welcome back. So, hey, all you crazy sci-fi and fantasy fans, it's time for your daily dose of shenanigans over here at the Blasters and Blades podcast, where we apparently start off drunk. Just look at Doc. Just I three veterans geeking out over our science fiction passions and fantastical fantasies. A place where magic is king, the sky is the limit, and space is the place. So without further ado, we're going to introduce you to a guest I've been trying to get on the show for a very long time. I thought I'd have to wait until he got his sci-fi book out, but then we rebranded and now we don't have to wait. So welcome to the show, Mark <laughs> Allen Idlehide. So Thank you, JR. Thank you, Seska, for having me. It's awesome to be so, here finally. Um, for those I know you I know for years we've been talking about this. So it's 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 really nice to be here. Thank you. So for those who don't know who you are, um, could you could you give us uh, tell the listeners or the readers? Yeah, well, I write military science fiction and fantasy. Um, primarily up until uh, this month, it's been uh, fantasy. But uh, my real passion is science fiction, and uh, I kind of fell into fantasy by accident. I think I've got sixteen to eighteen books right now. It's crazy. Um, I've got another one that's basically ready to publish that will be going out soon, and, and the two books before the end of the year. It'll be five books this year publishing. But um, uh, my first military science fiction, uh, Fallen Empire, published uh, in July, and I'm super excited about this one. Uh, it hit number one, which is awesome. And um, yes. it's, it's my thank you. It's my foray into uh, my passion right now, and uh, I've got one hell of a series that's going to that's going to come from this. It's all planned out, and mapped like Stagger's Tigers was. So um, if you like twists and turns and all kinds of stuff like that, I, I'm your guy. And fun fact, we actually peer pressured him to one of his live shows to put that Roman helmet behind him on for the show. And uh, Seska and I snapped a picture of a green grab. So it's out there somewhere. It is. I have it, it is. on my phone. It's not going on today. My kids play with it all the time. It's all Actually, I have, I have a Darth Vader helmet that normally sits here that's signed by the entire cast and John Williams. And um, my wife got it for me as a, a present one year at a charity auction. And um, we had to put it away because our house is up for sale. We're looking at moving. And um, we had some people come in and play with it. So I didn't want it damaged. And I'm a huge no. Star Wars geek. No, no, no. That's, to... that, that's one of those where you want to slap people's hands and say, no, don't touch. Yeah, please don't touch. No, we here. <laughs> so uh, the next part of the introduction, dear listeners, how we found them. So I actually discovered his books uh, when I started the Galaxy's Edge fan club. We started a thread just as a discussion about what else you're reading if you like military uh, type stories. And uh, somebody there recommended it as a history nerd. I had to give it a shot and uh, I got addicted and the rest, as they say, is history. But what about you, Doc? What CD bar did you find him under? I didn't. He found me, actually. In a CD bar? <laughs> no. Uh, well, almost as bad. Uh, I guess uh, Dragon Con's not a CD bar. No, it's not. No, it's not. It's it not it alcohol to imitate one. Um, <laughs> So does Dragon Con have a CD bar for all 12,000 people? Or was it 1,200? It's hard to track. Uh, what's that? What's, the, what's the smoking? What's, the, what's the, um, the speakeasy there? What's it called? You remember? Oh, that that they closed. Um, really? Oh. Yeah. No. So there's, awesome. there's a bunch of different places um, where you can go and find booze. Uh, but Mark actually found me at the beginning of a Dragon Con one year. He came over and he's like, hey. I really wanted to come over and introduce myself and because I'm an author and oh, I have a whole bunch of books to give away. And I went, wait, you have books to give away? I can arrange to help you find those people to give them to. So it began a beautiful friendship filled with lots of Maker's Mark and many great books. Yes. And uh, last time, last Dragon Con, 
um, which I'm Dragon Con started from going this year. Super excited. Yes. Um, we brought, I think, 2,000 books to give away. So mm -hmm. this year, I think we've got a like number to give away as well. So in fact, um, it's I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. it. It turns out that, you know, some people go to, to, to conventions to sell books. I go to give them away to make fans and stuff like that. And it's always nice because 99% of my readers read the book on ebook. So it's nice running into somebody and saying, here, thank you. Um, but at the same time, it turns out it's real work to give books away. And Seska had this wonderful idea because it was exhausting hauling them all over the place. Put them on the back shelf of the room and just sign them all on the back table. <laughs> and then I think um, and then Jenny I works. Yeah, she started writing books too, which is we started yeah. the track. And so, uh, and we also do another event where authors and fans can meet and mingle. And Mark brings a bunch to that. So uh, it, it worked out to be a very good symbiosis. Yes, and, uh, yes. See, I can use and that's her time. science word for the day. I have symbiosis. lots of science words for the day: titration, <laughs> symbiosis, uh, explosion, <laughs> implosion. Explosion. So we actually, speaking of giveaways, uh, Mark was generous enough because we're going to air this as a premium, which means it'll air live, and he's going to give away one of those T-shirts. So when we air this, it'll be as premium. We're going to air it, and um, when we get to that part of the interview where, where he says, hey, if you want a free one, say it now, whoever types at that exact moment gets their shirt. Awesome. So, awesome. All right. Well, Doc, we got tell you what, JR, uh, for the runner up, we'll also give away a signed um, original Staggers Tigers book as well. And they're not making any more of this. Nice. Oh, nice. Wow. See? Yes. All the cool stuff. So, Doc, yeah. you got to see if he gets to stay. We've got to ask him the religion question. Okay. you. Uh, he gets to stay because I know he'll answer this right. Lost in Space, Eureka, or Stargate? Okay. Now, the original Lost in Space, I grew up watching. You know, Danger, Will Robinson, Danger. Eureka was good. Stargate was freaking awesome. And um, Richard D. Anderson, I love. I am a huge Stargate fan. Um, in fact, when they when they kind of rebooted Stargate um, to, that, to that gate world, I actually wrote them because I wanted to write a few episodes. And uh, they never wrote me back, unfortunately, which sucks. But well, they I'm, missed I'm, out. Really, I'm really Jones that Amazon bought MGM because they now own the rights to Stargate. And you know they're going to reboot that franchise. And oh, yeah. um, they've already got, um, I know for a fact, um, they already have a whole season written. And I believe Richard Dean Anderson and a couple other people may have signed on. So I, I, I'm super upset. I really hope what they do is they do instead of like a, a full reboot, like, you know, they did with Charmed and they've done with other things, but that they continue the storyline in the universe. I, I, I hope so as well. And I think, I I think that I like better because otherwise I end up just comparing the characters. Yeah. I mean, I, I really liked SG-1 the best out of all of them. The characters were well-developed over, what was it, 10 years, 10 seasons. Yeah. Uh, they were able to really develop a lot of background so they could have fun with some of the characters like that Groundhog Day episode where Teal'c and, and Richard Dean Anderson, they kept they kept repeating the same day over and over again. And they had that brilliant scene where they were golfing with the Stargate. And, oh, yeah. And he looks, I he, remember. They hit it and he looks over and he goes, that's got to be a record. <laughs> nice, nice. So did you watch uh, Atlantis and SGU as well? I, I did. I liked um, – I liked SGU. I was disappointed by Atlantis. Um, and I, I just, I just, it, it was missing some of that magic that, that the original series had. They, they, they got to the point where they started taking themselves a little too seriously, where, 
with the original yeah. Stargate, they they didn't. But, um, but I think you know, I'm surprised you didn't ask I, about Firefly because I, all the rumors right now is that Firefly is getting rebooted too. So yeah, we try to mix the questions up so that way it's not. We mix the questions take them up. Through. But um, no, the, I mean. I was going to say, we mix the questions up to keep people on their toes. Yeah. So I am, I like Atlantis, but I really kind of lost interest after they killed Lieutenant Ford. He was my favorite character in that series. He, yeah. He's my son's favorite character, too. <laughs> I actually reached out to him because he, he was acting as that character right around the time there was this big push in Hollywood to get Iraq and Afghanistan vets into, into acting military characters. And I thought maybe he was one because he pulled it off so well, pulling that that Marine thing off. And uh, turns out he's just a good actor. Who knew? Um, but uh, we actually interviewed him on the old uh, branded podcast. And uh, I tried to convince him he should do some audiobooks because he's got the the vocal range for it, but he's, wow. he's an amazing actor. And with a name like rainbow sun, you know, he's got to be tough. The actor's name is rainbow sun. Franks. Like you get like, and he has a tie back to star Wars. His dad was the, uh, the voice of Bubba Fett for the cartoon, a Christmas special <gasps> cartoon. Oh wow! Wow! <laughs> and his uh, his sister is a lot of the does a lot of the she did the Rugrats she was the uh, the young African American child she was that character's voice actor and uh, she does a lot of Wow stuff World of Warcraft uh, voice acting. Jr. We have the next religion question now that we've definitely okay. confirmed that Stargate Atlanta Stargate is Jr.'s religion. <laughs> I'm <laughs> sorry, I get excited. I get excited here. Let's disagree. Okay, so how about this one? Game of Thrones, Lord of the Rings, or The Wheel of Time? Okay, so I was a huge Game of Thrones fan. I was unhappy with how it ended. Um, I think 99% of fandom is, but it was really nice for HBO to beta test horrible endings for the readers. Yes, yes, and it's not the first time they've done that. Like, <laughs> um, but, you know, the, the, what? What I'd have to go with Lord of the Rings. Um, the The both the books and the movies. I'm a huge Peter Jackson fan. Um, I've got a personal connection to it through my best friend who was special effects director for that. Um, I got to hear all the stories behind the scenes about how Peter Jackson was deathly ill at one point and he was laying on the couch in the back of the screening room, like on his deathbed and people were coming in and they were screening stuff and asking him questions and, and, and he was telling him what to do and what to change. It just never, never stops working. So, um, and he, and to bring, uh, the Lord of the Rings to life in the way that he did, um, which was a true passion. It's just, I, I, it really spoke to me on levels and, and motivated me to, to write better, uh, to be a better storyteller as well. Um, so it was just very well done. Now that said, I'm not a huge fan of the Hobbit series that they did, but the Lord of the Rings, yes. I love Benedict Cumberbatch though, as his voice is great for the Hobbits. You like that? Oh, yeah. What? I like him as an actor. Well, uh, what I love is if you've ever heard him talk about where he got the idea for the voice, that's the voice his dad used when reading the story out loud to him. Oh, that's awesome. And I, so it just makes awesome. it like makes my frozen heart warm when I hear that. <laughs> so See, I I I read all of the Harry Potter series to my oldest and I mm -hmm. did I do all the voices for the different characters. I can't do the voices. Dobby and all that stuff. My and, son has asked me not to. I asked you not to. Okay. He's so mean. I he had a time. 
where my oldest was whispering as I was coming up to read bedtime stories to my youngest that if they faked like they were asleep, I would stop doing the voices sooner. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Kids, what are you going to do? That's, That's awesome. cold. Yeah, they're lucky they're too. They wouldn't have eaten. Oh, my God. Okay, so... <laughs> Now that we've established that kids can be cold, um, cruel, cru yes, cruel, definitely. Um, what is your first? Well, you already said your first love was sci fi, yes. So what would you say your first memory in engaging in the medium of speculative fiction is? Uh, was it reading, watching, playing a game? Well, I, I grew up, um, I was severe, I still am, I was severely dyslexic and mm -hmm. I had ADHD. Um, you gave me red dye number 40 and it was like rocket fuel. Um, and I couldn't read in first grade. And my teacher's response was to basically take my desk. I, I was a behavior problem. She took my desk, put it in the closet, told me to shut up, sit down and color and close the door. Um, and my parents basically pushed me and got me in a special school where I was able to accommodate, um, and, and learn to read and write and participate. Um, but my first real memory of like science fiction was coming home from school, like probably in second grade watching Star Blazers. And literally my bus would pull up to the end of the street. I would get out and I would have to run the hundred yards to get home to get uh, Star Blazers to turn it on at like 3.30 because if I missed it, you know, it's like, yeah, if you've ever watched Star Blazers, amazing um, series, they had 365 days to save her. And um, uh, I, I just thought it was absolutely fantastic. And it, it really got me thinking about science fiction at a young age. Um, and then I kind of fell into the reruns with Star Trek and everything else and, and um, um, you know, Lost in Space, things like that. Um, but, but I was able to, over time, compensate for my disability. And eventually I fell into a love of reading and writing. Um, and it, it kind of led to, and that's a whole story in itself. But, um, but, but that's really what got me, got me, into thinking outside the box. What, what could the future be like? Um, you know, and, and the same thing with fantasy. Um, instead of writing, like I, I wrote Stagger's Tigers in a, in a unique time period, most people write fantasy in um, the Middle Ages technology level. I put it in ancient Rome technology level, which it, it gets, I, I like to think outside the box. Um, and I think what it does is when you write outside the box as well, it, it creates uh, unique environments and um, unique interest to people that hook people uh, that, that really get them thinking as well. And I try to educate in my writing um, so that people come away having learned something. I don't preach at them, but it's like with ancient Rome and stuff like that, without battering them over the head. Um, when somebody finishes reading Steiger's Tigers or you know, reading through the series, they're going to have a good understanding of how ancient Rome fought on the battlefield. And, um, and it's a lot of fun. And he, um, his, if you, uh, you know what, I'll add that to the list to link to, but he's got a Facebook group where a lot of the fans will get together and they'll share things and movie segments that it covered it. And then a hundred different people, maybe not a hundred, but a bunch of different people argue about why everything that was wrong. And then they get fun discussions. Well, actually, if you were talking about third millennium versus second, and it's a fun history nerd community. And it we is. even found, we found a video where a, a high school, or no. Well, they were young, so maybe elementary school teacher was trying to teach them Roman history by teaching the, the kids to, to walk in Tostito, which is the one where they cover themselves <laughs> with a shield like a turtle. Uh, yeah. And then they were throwing darts at them. Well, not like foam darts, pool darts. But they were throwing darts at them as they advanced forward to attack their teachers. It was awesome. That's the kind of stuff, the shenanigans that are in that room. 
Yeah, it, it's a it's a great room, great community, uh, very active people. But we've actually had to close the, um, the to to make it like a um, an entrance group where you have to apply to get in because we were having people coming in and promoting all kinds of crazy stuff from jihadi stuff to um, you know their jewelry and things like that. So if you if you apply to join um, uh, the fantasy lounge, basically, um, just answer the questions and you'll get in. If um, if you're looking to market something, you know, and you're going to spam, uh, you're going to get booted. But uh, but it's it's you can talk anything related, science fiction, fantasy, history, whatever you want. It's a fun group. It really it is. is. It is. So that's where they are makes most of his friends. It's one of those groups where, like, you're reading something interesting because, you know, if you're interested in history, you, you read the articles, you watch the ch the the videos, whatever. And then people are like, oh, let me share this real quick because it takes but a click, uh, you know, to, to link the video. And it generates a lot of fun questions. But so what is it about? We've talked about, you know, how you discovered the genre of speculative fiction. Um, but what is it about it that you love so much? The endless possibilities. Uh, it's, it's imagination, right? So. Um, whether it's science fiction or fantasy, um, you can write about it and explore it to your heart's content um, as long as it's interesting to others. And as long as others are going to read your stuff, it, it's great. But I, I love exploring it. I, I've got some three books here um, that are my favorite. Um, one of them is my all-time favorite. It's um, Orion by Ben Bova. And I've read this like literally hundreds of times. And you can see it's like this book is falling apart. And you loved it to pieces. I, I have. I've loved it to pieces. But what, what's so awesome about it is like just the 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 idea, and, and what he has in this book, and I'm not going to give it away. Is he's got one guy moving backward through time, and another guy moving forward through time, and they're fighting each other at different periods of time, and they don't. The guy who the main character is the one who's moving backward in time, and he has no idea why he's fighting this guy Herman. It's really creative. It is book. Um, another one that's got just amazing speculative fiction is uh, by David Brin. It's one of my favorites, Star Tide Rising. This book got me, this this was like instrumental for me, science fiction wise. Um, it's got a dolphin on the crew. Have, have you guys read it at all? No, I haven't read that oh one. Oh my God, you have to. Um, it's It takes place in the future by a, a ship crewed by dolphins who've been uplifted in intelligence. And there's a chimpanzee who's been uplifted in intelligence, and he's crazy, and he's got access to nuclear weapons. Um, and and it's just it's it's really fascinating. Uh, and they find something, and it sets the whole galactic community on fire, and people are chasing them. And it's just that kind of stuff really gets you know the outside the box really gets me jonesing at things. And I grew up at a time where. Today, a lot of the science fiction you read, there's a lot of copycat science fiction out there where people, you know, hey, you're going to write a book about armor. Well, you know, hey, that was successful, so I'm going to write one too, right? And they're, 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 they're kind of, they're, a lot of people are just basically writing about the same things. They're not getting original. Like Brandon Sanderson is a perfect example of somebody who gets original, like with the Mistborn series um, or the Skyward series, right? So... He comes up, or that you know, what's the one with the chalk drawings uh, with the magic system? Um, God, I can't think. Rhythmatist. So he comes up with really unique settings, really unique things, and and implements them and gets you thinking. Right. So I grew up in the '80s, and I was reading. By the time I was teens, I was reading from the used bookstore because my parents didn't have a whole lot of money at the time, and that's what we could afford. Um, I was reading in the library too. 
uh, books from like science fiction and fantasy books from the 50s, 60s, 70s actually had access to the, the um, not Starlog, um, analog. I don't analog. Know. Yes. And, um, and I, it really shaped me as an author. So like, I've got some concepts in Fallen Empire that you don't see a lot of in um, today's modern science fiction. Um, and, and I was shaped by a lot of that speculative stuff where you had these authors that, that the sky was blue and, and literally they could go in any direction they wanted. Um, you know, you, you had Lester Del Rey, uh, as I said, David Brin, Ben Bova, um, I mean, Heinlein, and, and they just, they just, they, they had some really unique ideas because they grew up in a totally different time where science yeah. fiction meant something very different to them than what it does to the generation today. Um, and if you read those books back then, very different. I remember reading one book where these two people were on the run and they hit the store and it was so amazing because the store had everything. You could buy clothes there. You could get food there. You could get a haircut there. You could get new glasses there, shoes. They were basically describing a Walmart before there was a Walmart. So. Oh, yeah. No, definitely. And Highlines does that with a bunch of his stuff. It's why I, my one of my favorite short stories is by Heinlein, actually. Mostly because it sounds so mean and scary. The menace from Earth. I thought you were going to say the moon is a harsh mistress. That's not a short story. Sure it is. If you're Brandon Sanderson. If you're Brandon Sanderson. Oh, oh yeah. George Brandon Martin. Sanderson for George Martin. That would be a short story. But it wouldn't be that a George Martin thing because there's an ending to it. <laughs> oh. Yeah. Uh. Okay. But... Before we go wandering too far afield and uh, having fun poking at the pillars of the genres, um, we've talked about some of your real life experiences that have influenced you as a storyteller. Didn't we just do that? Nope. So how did your love of speculative fiction as a reader, which you just told us what you love about it, transition into you writing novels in it? Well, I've I've been lucky enough to travel all over the world. Um, And in... Um, my, my father, when I was younger, used to drag me everywhere. I've been to China, Hong Kong, Japan, um, in North Africa, the Middle East, all over Europe. And I hated it as a kid. I, I, I wish he'd drag me along now. But, um, but it, it, you know, it, it really opened my eyes to different cultures and different things. And I remember literally walking down some of the streets in Rome or some of the streets in, like, Jerusalem and thinking – Crusaders walked on these very streets, you know, or going through ruins and trying to to picture what basically um, it, it used to be like, right? So, so, and and then reconstruct it. So basically, um, and and I got to experience certain things. Uh, we got a tour of the Hong Kong. Uh, this night market, black market, they call it. Um, we got we got a tour of of this um, really crazy market that most Westerners in 1989 never got to see. And the person giving us the tour was this, we turned out later we found out he was like the um, the section chief for the CIA for, for Hong Kong. So I mean, it's just really, really. I've had some really crazy experiences. Um, I've almost died a few times. And um, many of those those experiences, yeah, yeah. Um, (laughs) many many of those many of those experiences end up finding their way to my books. And I'll give you a perfect example. Um, In uh, a book called Fort Covenant that I wrote, um, Steiger's a new officer. 
and they come across, they're being pursued over many miles, this company, and they're out of food. And they come across an enemy company camped out in this valley, and they decide to attack the company at night to get their food. And they end up basically um, attacking it. And in the fight, Steiger knocks the guy with his shield into a fire, and it sets his cloak on, and the guy jumps up, and he's on fire, and he goes running out into the field. And Steiger doesn't think anything of it. He's like, he moves on to the next guy. Well, they win, they get the food, and then it's like, hey, we won. Let's gather everything up. And then it's like, oh shit, the field that's around us is a hay field and it's on fire. And so they have to run, basically. <laughs> and they end up, um, they end up basically they, they gather up what they can and, and they're climbing out of this valley, and the whole valley's on fire at this point. They're into the trees, the trees are starting to catch on fire, there's smoke everywhere, and they're choking and hacking, and they come up this ridge. To the top of the ridge and Steiger steps over it. He's like, it's, it's almost like with the smoke, he steps through a barrier where there's smoke in the valley, there's smoke coming up the ridge. And then he steps over the top of the ridge and, and it's clear he can breathe. And I had a fan write me and say, that would never happen. And I had it happen to me because I was in Highlands, North Carolina when I was a kid and there were forest fires. And I remember going to sleep at night and seeing the forest fires on the other mountain burning a long line. And my brothers and I, the next day, we were hiking. And when we came back, the wind shifted and it went down into the valley. We were hiking back up the, the mountain. And we, it, was, it got really bad to the point where we were like coughing. And then we got up to the top of the ridge. We stepped over and it was like there was like an invisible wall. For whatever geothermal reason or whatever it was, I don't know if that's geothermal, but atmospheric reason, the smoke was just going straight up. And it was like we had stepped completely into clear Eric. So that found its way into my book. Later on, I became a firefighter, a volunteer firefighter in college, and I got to fight bushfires, brush fires. And um, that is no fun, especially when you get that heavy Indian tank on your back um, that you have to pump and squirt. And it, I, I did not enjoy that. So, um, but, but that kind of stuff, um, you know, some of the feels, the smells, the heat uh, from those experiences made it into my book. So you've talked about some of the, the smaller moments that affected you as a storyteller, but would you say there's any one moment that you think is, aha, this is my moment that, that affects you as, as a teller of tales? Or do you think it's more of a, the whole is greater than the sum of the parts kind of thing? Um, it's a mix. I, it still doesn't feel real to me that I'm a full-time author. Um, every time I, and I, I joke about this, but I, I've talked to so many other people. I, I was on a panel with David Weber and um, Timothy Zahn, and I, I was, I think, I don't remember who else it was, but I, I, I was talking about how I typed the end on a book, and it, it didn't feel real, like I just finished the book, right? It was like my 10th book. And it's like, you know, they're gonna catch on, I'm, I'm a fraud. And David Weber looked over it, because I've been doing this for like 30 years, and I feel the same way. It's like, <laughs> and so many authors I know that I talk to, feel the same way even after you know it's only been six years for me since i got published in 2015 but so many other authors that have had success uh to to a, a serious degree i've talked to and they, 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 to them even years later it doesn't feel real um that they're full-time writers and and that they made it for whatever reason so um you know i i, I 
I, I still feel like I'm an amateur at it and I'm still learning. Um, I've got a lot, long way to go. Every book I try to push myself. I've got an unbelievable editorial team. My agent edits all my work. Um, so for those people who read, who think it's just me, it's not, it's a team effort. Plus I've got some really awesome beta readers who read the book. Um, and they give me their unvarnished feedback, uh, which is always entertaining. And, um, uh, tell me where they think I'm wrong, where I'm right. And once I got a lecture from one on the economics of a farm and, and it was like a dissertation and it, it got me because I had written about a farm, a stagger being in a farm. And it's like, I'm sorry to tell you this, but I don't think the economics of your farm work. And this is why. And I read it and it was like, you know, being a writer, a lot of it's hard getting feedback. but You got to take it if you want to become a good writer. And I looked at it and I'm like, holy shit, he's right. And I grew up on a farm. I should have known better. So I went back and, and started researching more about farms. And I got this great book about the Mormons and the, how they used to farm and all in the 1800s and 1700s and all whatever. And I, and, and, and different types of chickens and different types of lettuce that grows in winter. Who knew lettuce grows? There's a type of lettuce that grows in winter, right? Um, and I even grew in winter. Yeah, well, yeah, well. I'm I a city girl. I've either lived in a city or lived in a desert. So, okay. I but may not uh, know. They don't grow the lettuce in Saudi Arabia. Well, probably in a greenhouse somewhere. But <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure they did not let the hyper child in there. Um, yes. So, but that's really neat. Did you? Yeah. So, what did you do? Did you go back and fix it in the book, or did yeah, you? Yeah, I, 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 I did. I did. Forward, going forward. No, I, I went back because the first there were a couple problems with that book. It turned out that it was the first draft was like um, 950 pages long, and it turns out that that Amazon can only publish 830 pages, so that book had to get trimmed a bit. But at the same time, um, I had to go back and um, basically rework the farms so that the economics of the person living on this farm, Sarai, um, that what she was doing made sense. You know, that the types of foods that she would have hanging from the ceiling, you know, the, um, the, the, you know, what kind of animals she had on the farm, um, you know, how she subsisted on a daily basis, what she bartered, that kind of stuff. So I, I, I gave it a lot of research, probably about a month's worth of research to go ahead and fix it. <clears throat> and literally that represented about two or three pages worth of work in the end. Um, it sounds, it sounds like a lot, but it, it, it was the very beginning of the book and you want to get off, particularly when you're writing in like historical fantasy, um, where you want it to be believable. You want it to be accurate. And if it's not, people are going to call you out on it, um, particularly when it comes to ancient Rome um, and how people lived. They, they will. So like I get a lot of grief from people because I call a javelin a javelin and not a pylon. Well, um, the reason I, I had to make that decision was because there were, I knew there were going to be a lot of people reading my work that um, would get confused by that every time I threw it out. So there's some concessions I had to make uh, to, to, to basically um, tone it down. Uh, and, and so that you still have the key fundamentals there, but it's a modern day term, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, yeah. it does make sense because you don't want to throw your fans out of the story. But also, yes. since we're talking about fans, we're going to ask the fandom questions because I find them fun. 
They are so fun. I, I will agree with you that it always surprises me the amount of work you do researching the little things that if you got right, people would roast you for. But if you get it right, it's just set dressing that they never notice. Like when you watch any historical period drama, look at the clothes they're wearing or the yeah. setting. Like, oh, they wouldn't have that chair. It wasn't. You mean the zippers on Bridgington? Yeah. Yes. And or, it's clearly polyester fiber. The, I don't know I, what I, you're talking about. I love I love in the movies when you see ancient Rome and their cavalry had stirrups, you know, and, and the Romans didn't have stirrups. So no, they did not. No, but um, but yeah, no. Like a perfect example is the Karas. Really have people either. Like I, when I wrote the Karas saga, um, the first half of the book takes place in in Roman Britain, and I had to I had to nail all the details, and that took about a year's worth of research to to bring the Ninth Roman Legion to life. Um, and I remember people emailing me who were part of like the, the, the British foundation for whatever it's called at Hadrian's wall and saying, I read this and we're selling your book here and we really, it's accurate, you know, kind of thing. So, um, you get rewarded sometimes and then you get other people who uh, will email you and tell you basically you're wrong. And, um, sometimes you are like, I had somebody email me and say, you know, and I had to go back and change this. It's, I have a doctorate in ancient Rome and it really drives me nuts. Every time one of your characters counts down the seconds because the Romans didn't have seconds. They had minutes. I had to research it. Sure. They had minutes, but they had no way to measure seconds. So, so then I changed it to heartbeats, you know, or breaths or something like that. Um, but then you get, you get the other side where you get people that think they know what they're talking about when it comes to certain things and they email you and they're, they're just dead wrong. And you just say, Hey, thank you for your feedback. And, and you move on. Um, uh, and thank you for reading. Uh, it's just, just how it is. Well, at least you know that they are listening. So you have yes. very passionate fans, but have yes. any of them been passionate enough to send you any cool fan art or cosplay one of your characters yet? Yes. Um, I have had, I actually have somebody making a sword. Right now, they're making a replica of Steiger's sword. It's really cool. Um, I've had people send me dressed up as Steiger. I've had people in video games um, basically design Malzeal, um, you know, the, the capital of Steiger's empire in there, and, and they're fighting other people and stuff like that. I've had people um, uh, basically email me uh, dressed up in, in um, Roman getup and stuff like that. You know, basically saying they're ready to go fight orcs. Um, I've had I we used we uh, we routinely send care packages to the to the military overseas and stuff like that. I come from a military family. Um, my daughters go all the way back to they're like daughters of the revolution um, because on my grandfather's side, on my mom's side, um, they basically uh, were here in New Amsterdam and fought in the revolution and all that stuff. But um, so. We, we have a, a very strong military tradition in our family, and I always felt it was good to, to give back. And um, basically, we um, we would send care packages, and I would go to the grocery store with my um, daughters, and we, we particularly for the people in Afghanistan and Iraq, and we used to, like, get a taste of home and send it over there and stuff like that. Um, you know, everything from, you know, baby wipes to whatever, candy and all, everything you can think of. And, oh, no, um, my mom, we have a European meat market down the street. Yeah. That has the shelf staple uh, pork products, like the salamis. I know when my mother sends one to somebody overseas because she like giggles. I sent a care package because 
For those who don't know, you're not supposed to send pork products to soldiers who are deployed in Muslim countries. However, ignore that and just do it anyways because I really do miss their pork products. Um, yeah. So, yeah. We, we, we would end up putting a couple books in every, with every package, you know, because uh, I figured, you know, they need, you need some something to read as well. Trust but me. One, one time I got a four hour duty with nothing but a Twilight book. It's not <laughs> good. One time I got a photo of an entire unit in the field in Afghanistan and they had the books, Tigers, Tigers. And I wish I had the photo. I should print it somewhere. I got to find it. But the book is beat the shit. And it's everybody in the unit. They had all read the book and they're like, and the, the email when it came through with the picture was they had a big sign and it said, please send book two. <laughs> oh, oh. <laughs> so I, I can tell you as when I was deployed, I got some of those care packages. There was a, a brilliant organization, uh, Soldiers Angels, that sent uh -huh. some. And so when they are in the field, they don't always think to say thank you. So on their behalf, having received them myself, thank you for that. That's that's um, always appreciated. Yeah, I'm just emailing my wife for more whiskey here. So. <laughs> messaging her that's an important priority and we approve on the show it yes, is it is because your wife is amazing she so. is uh she's she's awesome and uh you know what's so great about her is she calls me on my shit so it's well, uh, see and what i love about her is she brings me hamburgers she does from dragon con i forgot about that <laughs> she she wouldn't brought you cookies too. like here's your cheeseburger and i'm like what and she's like Remember when somebody asked you for a, what you what you eat on your cheeseburger, and I'm like, yeah. And she's like, I brought you a cheeseburger. <laughs> I, I had totally you, forgotten about it. it that, was little, that little that little hole in the wall bar where you get those cheeseburgers under the down below in the, the oh yeah, really good. amazing good cheeseburger, and yeah. uh, and it was perfect. And the fries, oh my god, I, uh, I, well, I, mean, you, I would have we, we feel bad. We feel bad for you because at Dragon Con, you're sitting there working 24/7 with no break, and everybody's coming to you with problems and headaches, and you got all the authors saying, "I want another power, I want this, or I want that, or I'm not happy. I don't want to sit with him because he's an <laughs> asshole." And you know, it's just like you're dealing with you're dealing with all that headaches, and then you got to deal with the people that want to talk politics in the panels that the authors don't want to talk politics because we just want to sell books. And it's like it's like we feel really bad for you, and you you do an amazing job. All the all the directors that Dragon Con do. Thank you. We and we love it, and we have a lot of fun. Um, we do. We have some interesting stories every year at the end of the year to tell each other. But I want to know about your story. You told us in the pre-show that you haven't asked for your autograph out in public, so I want to know this. I story. have. I have. Um, I, I it. it we have an RV, a Class A, um, and we, we've been traveling all over. We've been doing meetups and stuff like that. And I, I remember going to one RV park, and I was walking by, and there was a guy who was sitting there. He had a print version of Stacked Tigers. He was reading it. And I'm like, I was like, what? You know, and it was like, <laughs> I'm like, let me look. And, um, and, and, you know, he was like, this is a really good book. I'm like, thank you. I, I, I know. And, um, and he's like, you've read it. And I'm like, I wrote it. And he's like, oh, can I have it signed? So got it signed. Um, turns out the entire football team here had, uh, one year had got into it and in our little town. And I had no idea. And we, I went to a game to see a game because my daughter was cheerleading. And, and like two people, two of the players came over in the game. Like, can we get your autograph? Um, but it's, it, I had no idea it was like a local celebrity. Uh, Jim Butcher. I had my first book signing ever at DragonCon with Jim Butcher. And we brought like at the first time we brought like 200 books to give away 
and he had his line and um, do you know Jerry who does the, the science who's a really nice guy so he it was just Jim and I there's nobody else in there they had the door closed like 4,000 people showed up for Jim and it's like nobody for me and I'm sitting right next to him we're just gonna get books away and 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 Jim is a really wonderful guy and he just turns to me and he's like you know this is the best celebrity to have and I'm like really what what do you mean and he's like you come here you get stopped every five feet you go home nobody knows nobody cares <laughs> <laughs> and it's so true. It's so true. So it's like, you know, I run into people at parties and stuff like that. And they're like, oh, what do you do? And I was like, well, you know, uh, I write. And they're like, oh, okay. You know, you, what do you write? Like for the local paper or something like that? And it's like, no. And it, it, it's, and you start explaining to them what you do. And some of them look at you kind of straight. Right? Dwarves and elves and unicorns and stuff like that. And I'm like, well, you know, I get to make up stuff for a living. You're paid for it. And it just boggles their mind. And they're just, and then, and then, you know, they kind of like, yeah, yeah, okay, you, you must, you know, you, you, you must be doing, you know, okay, whatever. And then later on, they'll walk away and they'll look you up and they'll come back and they'll be like, you're the real deal. And then it's like, yeah, you know, I'm lucky. I fell into it. It's just, you, you are. So I'm um, like, I'm, I'm one of the lucky ones who uh, struck lightning and I've got awesome reader base. And I, I just love them. And without them, I'm I'm nothing. Um, and as long as they keep reading, I'm going to keep writing. So I'm, I'm very grateful for the success I had. In fact, I try to turn that around and pay it back by mentoring other authors. I actually wrote a book, Every Writer's Dream, to help other authors. Um, and I, I mentor a number of them, and I give them advice and stuff like that. Unfortunately, not every author wants to really listen um, or really has what it takes to, to succeed. But for those that, that really... Um, you know, want to take advice, uh, you know, that, that there, there's hope. And here comes my wife with the makers. Thank you, honey. <laughs> well, I laughing. can hear her. Yes. Thank you, baby. Cheers, Seska. <laughs> so. so we've covered like, normally we ask, have you spotted your book in the wild? We've covered I that. Have. Uh, you're you are very efficient with these questions. <laughs> so um, I'm just when, a talker. So would you say that the football story is your funniest fan interaction, or do you have another one you want to tell us? Um, I, I've had others. I've had people follow us back to the hotels at conventions and stuff like that. Um, uh, one of the coolest, the coolest. Um, but I mean, I, I've actually had a celebrity that, and I'm that celebrity's been on my name was. Uh, we were at Supercon in uh, Raleigh, North Carolina. I don't think it's called Supercon anymore, um, but we were on the, the club level and they had this really cool club room and stuff like that and um, ran into all kinds of celebs there, including Beta, um, Brent Spinner. And in fact, my daughter, Isabella, was a few years ago. She um, she just started watching Next Generation. And I was like, we're going to go and see Data when we go. And... Um, we had breakfast with him right behind us every day for four days in a row. And I was like, I didn't want to make a scene. And I'm like, Isabella, Data's right behind you. And she looked like, no, he's not. And I'm like, yeah, he is. And she's, no, he's not. So we went down to the floor where they have all the signatures. And, and he was sitting on a chair with his picture over him. And I'm like, here he is right there. And she's like, that's not him. That's him in the picture. It's not him. And I said, like, honey. They filmed that show like 20 years ago. <laughs> she didn't so realize. Can you confirm that he's Mark Zuckerberg's dad? 
I cannot. I cannot. But it's <laughs> the resemblance. But I had my first book signing ever at Supercom. And we had a lot of people turn out, right? Um, and I I was in the club room mm-hmm. recovering after because we gave away a lot of books. And it's overwhelming when you meet readers because um, you want to give them the time. They've read your book, so you feel like you have to give some back. Um, had, where I draw the line is when people want you to sign body parts and stuff like that. Um, I, I, I just, I, I just, I can't. Have you had that it. question? I have. And, oh. um, huh? Oh. Yeah, I had, this, I had this really attractive girl come up with like these little, she had these, these like little uh, tattoos that was makeup on her arms and stuff like that. And it, and my wife was there and she wanted me to sign her arm. And, and I just looked at my wife and went, no, I'm not going to. But, but anyway, um, <laughs> um, so I was in, I was in the club room and I was recovering. I was the only one in there. And we, at the same time, walked in, um, and I can't, Alex Kingston, Dr. Who's, you know, and she's really tall in real life. Yeah. Right. And I was like, I, I was a huge fan. Right. I, I, I looked at her and she's like, she's like, um, you know, do they have any wine here? And I'm like, it's right back there. And she's like, oh, thank God. She goes walking over and she grabs the wine. And she's like, I just spent six hours taking pictures and signing autographs. And I was like, you know, I just spent like three hours. How do you do it all the time? And she's like, lots and lots of wine. <laughs> and we had a wonderful, we had a wonderful conversation. And um, and then there was an actually there's a, I'm gonna tell a very funny story. There's there's a really um, this is at Dragon Con three years ago. Um, we were staying at the Ritz at the time, and um, it was like three, four in the morning. We were coming back from a party that we had been invited to, you know, the kind of parties I'm talking about, right? After a long day of working, there are parties and you go, and then you're up the next day and you're wondering why you stayed out so late and drank so much. So, so basically, um, we're, we struggled back to the hotel. I am probably very intoxicated. No, I I am really intoxicated at this point. I'm looking to go forward to go to sleep because at Dragon Con, it's like Vegas. And we're, we get in the elevator and this guy gets in the elevator. He's got a hat on and we're going up and I kind of look over and I'm like, he looks really familiar. And I was like, you're Matt Smith. You're Dr. Who. And he looks over and I was like, he looks over at me like he's horrified. Right. And, and I'm like, you're a really good actor. And he's like, thank you. Thank you very much. He takes his ball cap and pulls it down. <laughs> the door opens. He goes out. I felt like an idiot. <laughs> So I had my fanboy moment and uh, with I rode down later with Matt Smith, but you know, it's just, it's, you, you, you have really interesting experiences at conventions and you meet, you meet some great readers there. Um, I've, I've met a couple people, stars that have actually read my books, read a number of authors who've read my books as well. Had one sit down with me, give me critiques, which actually I was very grateful for. Um, and, um, um, and then there was that one panel that Seska arranged where on my right, I had David Weber on my left. I had Brandon Sanderson and I was looking at each going, you know, this is so cool. So thank you, Seska. Speaking of those reviews in the old episode, when we would actually analyze them, which wasn't as entertaining, we would remind you that please be kind and speak your mind on the reviewing platforms because it helps the right readers find the right books. And Elvis agrees. You can hear him. Yes. So yeah, one percent of all all write all readers leave reviews, and um, if you really like the book, leave 
leaving a review basically helps convince other readers to try that author's work. Um, and, and, you know, it's, it's, it's like anytime you hear a bell ring, an author gets away. You know, he gets a sale. <laughs> <laughs> so, Too much whiskey at this point. <laughs> it's, it's all good. So can you get, this is the part where you tell us, Mark, all the things you have written. So can you give us the Reader's Digest version of oh, your God. body of work? <laughs> um, By series, I, if it helps? Okay, I've written, I, I, I have a very unique series. I have, um, I've created this Lost War universe um, in fantasy. And I've got a number of books that are absolutely that are linked together. I've got the Karis Saga. I've got um, uh, the Chronicles Silo, which is the Stiger's Tiger series. I've got Tales. I've got um, the uh, Way of the Legend series that I'm writing with Quincy Allen, um, which is really about dwarves. Uh, all these books are really linked together. And I've got another book right here, um, basically, that is Elliot Ranger's Tale, which I'm releasing on Patreon. Um, you know, one chapter at a time. And, and it actually, it's, it's one of the, the most entertaining, the, the fun books, I've, funnest books I've ever um, written. But I've, I've got this really interesting universe that I've created where there's so much that can happen. And I've got so many readers invested in it. And there's so many Easter eggs and so much planning went into it. It's just absolute terrible fun. I've got six or seven more series planned to go into that universe. Um, plus, I've got other books that I've um, that I've actually sold, like the uh, Fallen Empire series, which just came out. I've got Off Mid Indigo Station, um, which is uh, sold, and I've I've written it, but I've got to really make it good. Another military science fiction book series. Um, I actually have one called The General um, that I've sold as well, three book series. And and um, you know we were we were actually looking at. The, one of the few books that I had no rights whatsoever is Ellie, and we've got all these people wanting to buy it now. So I, I've, it's got a really good problem to have, but um, I've I've written a lot, and and I average about four to five books a year in writing, and it, it's it's um, those are long days, um, but I, I've just I've, I'm lucky, and I've got momentum, and I'm I'm very grateful, um, and as long as uh, I keep delivering quality books, the readers are going to keep reading. And um, it just, it, it, it really boggles my mind that I can have a book come out. I could take six months to work on it or longer and it can be 800 pages and somebody will read it in less than 24 hours and just devour it. And it's like being a chef, right? It's like you've met my mother. You yeah. You can do that. Yeah. And, and it just, it just blows my mind because I can't even read it that fast. But um, so I, I've, I've got this wonderful fantasy universe that started with Steiger's Tigers that I fell into by accident. Then I've got the science fiction books. I've got so many, I've got a whole drawer here of story ideas that I want to write. And um, plus there's TV stuff as well. I mean, it's just, this goes on. I just don't have enough time in the day. And it's, it's really a good problem to have um, from a writing perspective because people just devour your books. And I'm, I'm super grateful for that. Um, and I, I work very hard on each one because if somebody, I have a, I have a feeling, a, a belief that if somebody's going to buy my work, they're going to pay good money for it. And a lot of people don't have the money to afford it on books, even eBooks. And I get emails about it, how they're, you know, people are saving up for their next, when a book comes out, they're going to save up till payday so they can afford it. Um, that I need to put all my effort and energy into it. So it's the best book possible. And, um, you know, when I get a negative review, I, I read all the reviews and it, 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 I, I try to absorb all the reviews 
even the negative ones. And I'm grateful they bought my book so I can become a better writer, if that makes sense. No, that does make sense. It's, yeah. I, I love it when authors are as much a fan of what they're doing because the, the love of it comes through both when you talk about the book as well as when you're talking about all the, um, you know, the work. It comes through on the panels and when you're doing these interviews. But where did you come up with the idea of Steiger's Tigers, which is why we're kind of here. <laughs> to you stole, my, you stole my thunder right? from me. I was going to ask that question. I, have yes, I did. I, I love know. it. I keep you on your toes, dude. So I had a history podcast and we used to, I, it was called two cent history. And um, I would have like 50,000 downloads a month on it. Right. Oh. Um, and it was, it was kind of like a little bit like Dan Carlin stuff. Um, like, the first five episodes were on the start of the American Revolution in April 1917 it was, it was absolutely fantastic. I really enjoyed what I was doing, but I wasn't making any money at it. And I was working a full-time job. And it was I had a very stressful job. And uh, it, it was just nice to take a break from it. And I'm the kind of person where if I don't try something, it never gets done. So basically, um, we were on our way to the shore, to my parents' house at the Jersey Shore. And on the Atlantic City Expressway, on the weekends, they have the worst traffic imaginable and i hate traffic to the point where i'm like ah, at the wheel right and we're 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 driving along i'm driving everybody in the car my three girls and my wife are asleep right and i'm sitting there thinking about the next podcast that i'm going to do my podcast is usually about four to five hours long and i have a script and everything like that and um and and it, and it occurred to me that the same amount of effort that i was putting into a podcast, I could put into a book. And I, I said to myself, why don't I go ahead and write a book? Try it. Yeah, I've always wanted to write one, why don't I just do it? So I thought of the idea. Um, I wrote the book in three weeks. I took a year to edit it and that became Steiger's Tigers. And uh, all the time while I was writing it, at night, after I came home from work, I'd play with my kids, we'd have dinner, I'd play with my kids, put them, read them to them, put them in the bed, and then spend two to three hours working each night on it. My wife would, my wife was like training and all that stuff. And, um, and, and she would go to bed like nine 30. So it was like perfect. And all the time that I was working on it, she kind of looked at me like, yeah, you know, I was like, honey, this is going to sell when it comes out. And she's like, yeah, 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 yeah. And then lo and behold, it came out and I didn't know what I was doing. I made all kinds of mistakes. I, it, I self published it. And, um, in the first month alone, it, it sold like 25,000 copies. And, you know, for an indie back in 2015, that was a lot. And, you know, the, the publisher that I had used, they were like, oh, don't use Kindle Unlimited. You, you won't make any money on it whatsoever. And so I listened to them. And then I picked up um, my agent and she's like, are you crazy? Uh, <laughs> and we put it on and it opened up a whole new audience for me. Um, but it's, it's, it's really been a wild ride since then. Um, I went 2015. I wrote it in December of 2017. I became a full-time author. So wow, um, that's pretty yeah. quick turnaround. That is, yeah. And um, I, I, I couldn't have done it if without you know the readers. And um, I made a lot of mistakes along the way. And I've learned. I've had an my my agent has made sure that I have learned my mistakes and still made learning my mistakes. <laughs> It's, um, you know, it's, it's, and, and, and to kind of give you an idea, a lot of people, it's very hard to get an agent these days. Um, 
I, I started getting bombarded by agents saying, hey, um, I'll represent you if you pay me $1,500 and I'll get your book sold to a publisher. And I was like, yeah, that's not how it works. So I wrote three of the top literary agencies out there. And I said, you know, this, this is where I am. Does it make sense to get representation? And only one wrote me back. And she said, look, you know, I'm not taking any new authors, but I'd be happy to talk to you and give you some advice. I'm like, okay. So we set up a call two days later and we got on the phone and unbeknownst to me, she picked up my book and read it in that time. We had a wonderful conversation. It was like three hours long. And at the end of the conversation, she's like, listen, I would agree to represent you, but you have to work with me. And I'm like, well, what does that mean? And she goes, well, you have to listen to my advice. You don't have always have to accept it, but I'm going to give you my opinion. And if you don't like it, you know, you know, and you're not going to listen to me and go elsewhere. So it's like, okay, like, can you give me an example? She goes, well, yeah, you need to change the ending of your book. And I'm like, what's wrong with it? It's, you know, we've sold like 60,000 copies since that time. It's like, she's like, and then like literally in 45 seconds, she explained with the pivotal scene at the end of the book, what was wrong with it. And I, I, I was like, holy shit, she's right. And I changed it. Um, and, and that's the value of listening. And that's the value of, of getting a really good agent. And there's some very bad agents out there. So, um, but there's yeah. some very good agents as well. And they can, they can really, they can really make, make, make you successful. Yeah. I, I had a friend who had one of those eight really bad ones email during 2020 and was like, Hey, uh, I can get you in with, have Jim Bain read your book. And I'm like, and my friend called me and she's like, this doesn't sound right. And I went, yeah, that's because Jim's dead. Yeah. And she goes, <laughs> she emailed everybody else because it was like a mass email that, and, and she showed them like his, Oh, she went to the effort of showing the obit. She's like, this person's dead. Yes. Yeah. So uh, yeah. that was the last time she heard from that person. Oops. Yeah. You, yeah, you gotta be, you gotta be real careful. And one of the things I would recommend is if somebody ever comes to you to be an agent um, that wants to be your agent as an author, um, what you do is you always ask for recommendations, uh, references basically of authors that they've worked with or working with now. And then you talk to them because they'll tell you, they'll tell you the, most authors will be very honest about their agents, where they think they can help, where they, where they can't help, you know, where, where they're useless, that kind of stuff. And, and um, Andrea gave me references and I had wonderful conversations with all the authors and um, it, it just, it just really worked out well. And I, she's awesome. And at the same time, she's a pain in my ass because she wants me to be better. So, um, and, and it's. Now does she have it, any, Go ahead. Does she have any say in your cover art? Cause I'm sure JR has a picture we're gonna pull up of your cover art, right? Are you gonna steal all my questions? Do I need to just hang my hat up and go home? No, no you're recording this is not, it. Please. No, you're yeah. recording it. So this is be more assertive, JR. <laughs> <laughs> this is the part of the interview where we talk about that glorious cover art and we ask yes. you what the inspiration for it was. Jeez, Doc. Well, You'll get over it. Yeah. See, Elvis is agreeing with me. I think he's agreeing yeah. with me. I feed him. Well, I've got Peter. I, I, I've got a really awesome illustrator. His name's Piero, and uh, he does all of my art. Um, and I found him on DeviantArt.com. I think that's what it is. Yeah, DeviantArt. Um, and it's it sounds like it's a site that you don't want to visit, but in reality, it's an art site where artists share and all that stuff. And I actually saw this this image on there of 
um, that you see in Steiger's Tigers. And I, it really spoke to me. And I wrote him and I asked him, well, you know, can I license it? And, and he went ahead and said, absolutely. And I said, well, what about additional art? And he's like, well, I'd be happy to do that. And we have a, we, since 2015, um, we've had an awesome working relationship. And he's really brought the vision of my work to life. And I've commissioned him for literally hundreds of uh, concept art, um, of images and stuff. And the concept art really helps me um, to visualize the story and, and it motivates me as I'm writing, but it also, it gives me something to share to readers in between books. Um, and, and, and it, it brings things to life and, and he's done an absolutely wonderful job with the, the, the what I like about particularly this one is the fact that it looks like a, like the, a documentary. Like you look at it and it looks like it should be found in the Barnes and Noble history section. So we're sharing some of the other art we've got up there. So what can you tell us about this piece of art? Because I'm going to go through well, some of my stole from your, from the yes. interwebs. So this is Ellie uh, Farr. He's a ranger, Steiger's companion. This is actually the cover of um, Ellie Ranger's Tale that's coming out. And um, this was one of the first images I commissioned of him. And my readers really liked it. I absolutely love this image. It's, it's, uh, it's gritty. It's in the forest. I love the trees in behind him. And it, it really brings, it really brought out after I, I talked to Piero and told him what I wanted, um, he captured the image of one of the main characters in my series, the best. It, so. it, has, it has that Teutonberg forest vibe going on in the background with the gloom and the doom. I'm digging it. You right. love the textures, don't you, JR? I can see some of it. You hush. <laughs> All right. I've got, I've got a couple others that we grabbed that I'm going to let him share. Uh, we've got this one, which is glorious. Yeah. So what's the story so, of this one? So this is for the, from the Karis saga and that's Karis in the front with, um, his best bud Dio right behind him. And, uh, it's right before they left Iboricum, which is modern day York, uh, to go on the adventure. And what an awesome, it, it, it's the ninth Roman legion that is one of the greatest mysteries in history today. And literally I, I, I took them, took the entire legion, transported them to a fantasy world. They were abducted, basically, um, in a desperate situation. And and what was so cool about it is the Romans believed in gods and magic. In fact, there are Roman legates, Roman generals, who complained to Rome that they couldn't accomplish this objective because there was a dragon that stopped them. And they get placed in this fantasy world. So they go from their mundane world to the fantasy world. And for them, it's like the gods... You know, it, it, it's it's the normal, you know, it's 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 yeah, sure. It's a little bit out of normal, you know, they see dragons and stuff like that. But but hey, it's possible because we believe in God, multiple gods and, and magic and things like that. And so it was a lot of fun to um, bring this story to life. And literally when the, like two weeks before this book published, Dr. Who um, had an episode on the Ninth Roman Legion. And I was like, no. <laughs> So, but it's it's just a really gritty image, and um, and I, I absolutely love it. And you can see Karis, and and the, another thing that I really like about my illustrator is he he's he's an Italian, and he gets the Roman legion uniform, the the, the everything absolutely accurate, and he makes it look cool. It almost looks like Gladiator in a way, um, the, from the movie. If you know what I mean, Jerry. Yeah, I, yes. I dig it. All right. Well, I'm. Oh, and, and you see that? You see that vine cane Dio's holding yeah. in the back? 
So the vine cane um, was a staple of the Roman centurions. And it was um, given to them, and it was a measure of imperial, imperial authority. And what, it, what that symbolized was basically the ability to strike a Roman citizen, which was another soldier, another Roman legionary. And they used to have this Roman centurion whose nickname is survived to this day. And it's bring me another, because what he used <laughs> to be known for was breaking it over the backs of his men. And every time he broke one of those thick, gnarly vine canes, he would say, bring me another. All right. So we will stop sharing that one. Uh, yeah. What while I bring up some of the uh, some of the other art just to show why we talk, um, what can you tell us what it is um, back to the book itself? What your thirty second elevator pitch for the novel would be for Stigers Tigers? Um, basically, yeah. uh, a very experienced man from a disgraced family, a bastard of a man who um, you know is thrown to the dogs and basically keeps fighting it, never gives up. So you said dogs right as they put this picture up. Right as they put it That's. The gods are spoken. Hey, hey, we're good at pot timing, man. Yeah, you've got four of my favorite characters in there. You've got Theric in the background who's an orc. You've got Steiger in the foreground with uh, Rarokan, the sword, um, where you've got a, 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 a wizard's soul trapped within. And you've got Ellie in the background with the, the bow. And then you've got one of my favorite characters of all time, Dog. And Dog is Is he vicious. a murder dog? He's a killer. part werewolf to me, but he's he's definitely vicious. He is definitely vicious, and and <clears throat> when dog when he's also sad looking at the same time. Here he looks vicious, but um, there's a really interesting conversation. Stagger falls in love with this woman, and dog starts hanging out around the farm, and she he doesn't want dog anywhere, but dog won't leave him alone. And basically, <laughs> Sarah basically tells Stagger we're keeping him and. Um, you need to name him now. So Steiger doesn't want to keep him, doesn't want anything to do with him. So he just looks over at him and he's like, all right, dog, that's your name now. And <laughs> and then Theo, Theo, a, a dwarf, comes by later and, um, you know, says, oh, the dog's still hanging around. He's like, yes, yeah, sorry, he says, I need to keep him and I have to name him. And, and he's like, oh, well, what'd you name him, dog? And he's like, what? And he's like, he's like, Dog, you named your dog dog, and it's like, yeah, it's great. It's great because every time Steiger like leaves a scene or something like that, he's like, you know, becomes he becomes the dog begins to grow on him. They grow on each other, and it's like dog come, you know, and it's it's just it's just uh, it's a lot of fun. It really is. All right, I, I would have said the uh, the ninth Roman legion in the middle of Middle Earth would have been my elevator pitch for that when I. When I try to pimp the books out to people, that's uh, yeah, that's but, what I tell yes. them. Yes, but 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 that only works when you're pitching it to the History Channel. Yes, are there most other people channels? are going to go Ninth Roman Legion? I mean, they just hear Roman Legion, even if they don't know about the Ninth. It still works. When, when somebody asks me for like a line, I'm like, it's like Rome meets Middle Earth, you know, or Lord of the Rings, and and it's it's um, it's. The, the, the reason I, I, I dropped, I, I set my fantasy world at the Roman technology level was because we know a lot about how ancient Rome lived. I mean, there's they, they wrote about it, right? Um, in, in some instances, we know more about how people lived in, in Roman times, and they were more sophisticated than, than medieval times in certain respects. 
So it allowed me to really draw upon things and show people at the same time how sophisticated ancient Romans were in their life, if that makes sense. Yep, totally. So what tropes do you think you really hit on the best with this series? Well, before me, there was not a category for military fantasy on Amazon. After my books, suddenly it popped up. <laughs> and then everybody's in it now. Um, there were books that were military fantasy, but there was real no category, no category for it. So I think I, I might have actually created the military fantasy genre, but I'm not sure. So um, it, it, it's really military fantasy is what the first book is. In fact, the first book, there's only one woman in the first book. And I didn't realize it when I wrote it. And that was just me being a novice as a writer. And it was a slate. And I was trying to portray the, the, the brutality of slavery in that scene because, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's ancient Roman slavery was, was not fun. Um, but it's never been fun. No, I know. But, but you, you get, I, I, part of my role is to educate, I think. And, um, and, and one of the things that I educate is like Steiger is suffering in that book from post-traumatic stress syndrome. And I don't come out, and say it, but I have people email me and say, you know, I don't understand why it's cool one minute and then hot the next. Um, and then I have other people say, you know, I understand where he's coming from because I've been in combat. Um, and and I, it's, it's one of those things that I want to bring out because I think that anytime you talk about those issues, um, it helps because there's so many people that suffer from it whether it's post-traumatic from the loss of a loved one, post-traumatic from an accident or combat or whatever it is. Um, it, it's one of those things that I think that it just, it enriches the story, but, but opens the conversation more, if that makes sense. Definitely. Absolutely. Absolutely. So um, you've told us a bit about Steiger as we've gone on. Is there anything more you'd want to tell us about him? Um. I'd like to meet him, actually. <laughs> oh, we have that question. We have that yes. question. Since um, you brought it up, since you yeah. brought it up, I know we're gonna do this out of order and make Jr. flinch. Um, how do you think your you'd fare if you met your characters in a dark alley? I, I think they'd kill me. <laughs> <laughs> I, every, you know, I mean, it, it's. We shouldn't even hesitate. Yeah, I know, because as an author, you're looking up the stakes to make it more difficult for them, to throw challenges in front of them. And my editors kind of laugh at me now when I do that. It's like, you know, it, it's it's they, they, they point it out in the notes and things like that, um, that as if things could get worse. You know? uh, but but it, I've created this wonderful world with the Silo series, the Chronicle series, and um, it's almost so real that I want to go play in it. I heard George Lucas basically describe Star Wars that way. And I didn't really understand it until I created my own universe. Um, and it's, it's, um, it's kind of tragic in a way because it's so rich and so it's got so much depth. And when you first pick up Steiger's Tigers, you dropped in the middle of this universe with no context whatsoever and very little information. And as the story unfolds, it's like an onion, the layers of an onion. Um, and by the time you get to book six, it's really deep. Um, so I'd like to go play there. 
but I know my I know several of my characters who kill me without hesitation for what they've been through. Okay, so were there any secondary characters that that were especially memorable to you? You mentioned a few of them, but yeah, in passing. But who were your favorite secondary characters? Um, I've got there. There's such a wide cast now; it's hard to keep track of all the characters. But I've got a ranger, who a guy named Marcus, who's going to get his own series coming up, and um, he uh, kind of has fallen out in the last three books because there's so much going on. It's just I. The cast, you have to move along. But but I really seeded a story for him early. He's a fun character. Another character that I really enjoy is um, uh, Camp Prefect One, whose nickname is Salt. And the reason he's Salt is because he's an old salt. You know, back in the ancient days, the Roman soldiers used to be paid in salt, and they bartered for what they needed because salt was valuable. So um, he was a fun character to really play with. But my all-time favorite secondary character is Centurion um, Pansa Ruga. And um, he's just a lot of fun. He's going to get some serious screen time coming up in the books. And um, uh, I, I, just, I just really love him because he's practical. He says what's on his mind. And <laughs> my readers love him. And he's just he's, – he's the ultimate killer. And that's the thing to remember is that ancient – um, ancient Roman centurions, they were like the ultimate killers. Like they, to become a centurion was not a popularity contest. You had to be really good at killing. You had to be really motivated, right? And you had to not be afraid to put yourself in harm's way. And they suffered the highest casualties of anyone because they were always setting the example. So I, I, I really, I really enjoy playing with him as a character, if that makes sense. All right. So normally we would ask you about the bad guy in a series. So just acknowledging that to the reader, but having read that series, I know that in order to answer that, there'd be way too many spoilers. So the next yes, question right. is yours, Doc. <laughs> um, okay. Um, I, the next one is normally, this is normally where we ask about the back alley. Um, nope. It's uh, so this back would be no, you we asked him out of order. This isn't the back alley anymore. So sometimes, no, often, Doc, you're fired. You've been drinking too much. So you know your process is is involved. It's a little different than some authors. So when you were writing this series, were there any cool scenes that had to get cut uh, just for time that didn't make the final draft? But you were like, man, this was really good. I wish I could use it somehow. Yeah, actually, now that you mention it, I couldn't think of one before, but. Um, in, in the oh. Kara saga, there was one scene with Amara, Kara's, um, Kara's love interest, that was a that was at the end of book one, and my agent and my editors hated it there, and I really liked the scene. It was a really visceral scene, and that got moved to the next book after you met her. So you have a flashback of what happened before. And um, and I insisted upon it. And it really worked in in book two. It's kind of like that scene with Hawkeye at Endgame, like um, in the beginning of the movie where that scene was actually meant for the first movie, but it didn't work in the first movie. So it ended up becoming the opening for the second movie. And and basically they didn't know where they were going to put it. So it, it was kind of kind of similar process there for me. And it, it worked really well. It was just an absolutely brutal 
visceral scene and um, where she's brutalized. And it just, what it does is it, it, it contrasts from where she was to where she goes. Um, okay. So Stiger's Tigers is clearly part of series. I know because it says so on the Amazon. It says so on your website and Goodreads and all the places and people go to look about books. Tonight. And you've said it twice. There are currently six books in the main series, plus there are two other side series. But is Stiger's story done? Will be more from, from these characters? What do you have coming um, forward? There are three more books coming out in the Silo series. Um, the Tiger's Fight will come out probably January, February of uh, 2022. And uh, that book's going to be about 800 pages long. So I've, I've really begun starting to work on that one. That's going to be a lot of fun to write. And thank my editor for making it twice as big as it should be. Um, he, <laughs> we were One of them, we were talking, and he was like, I think you should do this. And he got me thinking along this tangent. And it was like, well, that just adds half this, another you know, 400 pages of the story. And he's like, yeah. Like, okay. So, um, so, so basically, um, there'll be three more books. 10 books in, this, in the silo series total. And then Steiger's story will end. However, Tales, which is the prequel series, which takes place 10 years before Steiger's Tigers, has about 10 books. So you get a little bit of Ellie and Steiger um, in the Tales series after that. But it's, it's really about how he becomes the man he becomes when you meet him in Steiger's Tigers. And I've got people chomping at the book for book four in that series. So... Um, I just have no time to write it. So we know that every literary universe, at least the good ones, have their own consistent rules of science, technology, and magic. Um, you've mentioned that this is set with Roman era technology, but the Roman Empire and Republic uh, stretched for a, a large um, amount of time. So what can we expect from these books and what era did you pull the equipment from? Um, I, I pulled the equipment from really the imperial period of ancient Rome, um, where there were emperors. Um, Karis Saga takes place about 121, 122 AD when the Ninth Roman Legion um, leaves. However, that said, when they get to this world, um, they have to actually go to Tanis first before they get to uh, the world of Istros. And that takes uh, hundreds and hundreds of years. Um, and, and time moves a little bit different on Istros. So there were already people here and they had their own level of technology. So you had these Romans coming in who were educated, they had engineers with them and stuff like that. So they adopt some of the technology that's already here. Uh, perfect example is the Romans didn't have chimneys. These people have chimneys, okay? It's just easier. It, it, I decided I was gonna make them have chimneys because it's easier than having a room filled with smoke, you know, that you're everybody's choking in because you've got a hearth, but you don't have an exit for the smoke. Um, things along those, have little things along those lines. I have to imagine that if they had fires and, and hearths with no chimneys, that they had to have some sort of draft system that would suck that up. They did, but it wasn't as sophisticated as the chimney. Um, they also had open yeah. air kitchens and things like that. You know, the Romans yeah. had ancient, ancient fast food, right? So you go to Pompeii and they have fast food areas there. And, and fast food was really unpopular with the government because the ancient Romans felt that fast food was bad for you. Go figure, right? And, and they tried to outlaw it so many times. But the reality is, is that it was so popular with ancient Romans that they couldn't get rid of it. Because you're going to work, I'm going to stop for my Big Mac or my Big Roman Mac, whatever you want to call it. Um, and the Romans really invented hamburgers. So, I mean, there, there's recipes where they're, they're, they discuss hamburgers. So there's so much that today 
we pull from the Roman Empire that, or the Roman Republic that we don't even realize. You know, they raised Nero's barges, right? Um, Mussolini did. And they found valves today that are identical to the ones that are being used at fire hydrants. Think about that for a nice. second. Yeah. So that is super okay. cool. Um, it is. So, but back to our magic and archaic tech, is there any that you invented for this universe which you would want to have for daily use? Uh, yeah, I'd like to have magic lights. So, you know, magical lanterns. We have that with batteries and stuff today. Um, I, I almost would describe my fantasy world as science fiction. Um, but that would be giving away spoilers. So, um, careful, careful. There's I know. science fantasy. I know, I know, I know, I know. But, um, yeah, I wouldn't want Steiger's sword because Steiger's sword is inhabited by an evil wizard that wants to take over his body and has incredible power, um, wants to take over him, and it's imprisoned within the sword. I wouldn't want that. Um, what I would really want, though, is the ability to heal because I'm turning 51 next month. And I partially ruptured my Achilles two weeks ago, um, walking down the stairs. So go figure. Yeah, that's like something I would do. Yes. The stairs so, already done it. I'm, I'm doing much better, right? Prednisone is wonderful. But, um, and whiskey helps. But <laughs> Whiskey helps in all things. I would like the ability to heal. Because I'm feeling it every day, every year. I, I had an awesome, I've had an awesome life so far. I've done things that other people could only dream of, and I, I should have checked out a Darwin's list a number of times. Um, I used to mountain climb, backpack, um, whitewater kayak. I mean, you name it. I've done it. I used to do technical diving with nitrox. Um, I've had a really, just, I've just done some incredible things, and my body is starting to break down as a result. Um, and some of the things that I think I can do, still do, I can't. But it's um, but I would definitely like the ability to heal. That I definitely understand. Um, well, that's not ex see. Normally, we would ask you how you'd abuse that tech, but you gave such a wholesome answer. I don't think we can. So uh. I think you can abuse healing and be an ethical person. So we're going to move forward because we know you're an ethical person. So I'm married to a Colombian, so you know. I have Otherwise, I'll wake up missing something. You would. <laughs> or, or it may be stuffed somewhere, you know, I don't want. You know what? Just as long as you finish your book series, nobody will notice. Yes. <laughs> That's why your book series is so long. Since, we, since we've talked about your books, um, yeah. we know that there's some fantastic creatures in there. Is there anything you did about making these like your own? Did you use yeah. nightmares? Too much great, amazing Colombian food. Well, the Colombian food is awesome. It's just. I, I said it was. It's amazing. Yes. Um, I, I made my gnomes. Everybody loves my gnomes. Um, and they're not your normal garden variety. They're sick, sadistic bastards that have no fear. And they play with explosives so you you it's it's just it's it's an awesome combination and they're a lot of fun because they have no fear and my 
my readers absolutely love them, but I have to ration the use because they're like the nuclear option. And um, it's, it's, I, I've made them my own. I've also changed the dwarves a bit. Um, they're, they're not quite your Tolkien-esque dwarves um, or the Dragonlance dwarves. They've got politics. Um, they've got some, they've got a, a very rigid honor system called legend. Um, and, and they're just, they're just very unique. Um, I try to make every single race unique. I also make the elves very unique. They, they, they basically don't die. And, and it's a lot of people think that long life is, it would be awesome. Right. But for them, it's really a curse. And as they get older, they kind of retreat into themselves and they retreat away from the wider world because everything in the wider world changes and they don't like change people that they humans that they know will grow old and die and stuff like that. And the work and, and what happens after hundreds and hundreds of years is memory begins to fade. So the people that they cared about, they start forgetting about them. They find that painful. So I, I try to make every single race kind of unique, I kind of made like the orcs, like the native Americans a little bit, um, you know, where they're, it, it, they've got honor and they've got courage and, um, just, it's it just, I, I try to, I try to make each culture unique, special. And one of the main characters that Steiger really values the most by the end of the series is an orc, um, which you don't see really in many other series. So, and he's very intelligent and he's a killer. So, um, and he tries to make Steiger better. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. So I called your gnomes murder midgets. That's how I refer to them. <laughs> You like them? I did. I did. I almost think you should write a whole series just based on the gnomes, but you've got so many series you've already committed to that might have to wait till the next lifetime. I've actually, I've actually got an outline here for a book um, <laughs> around gnomes, and uh, one day I will write it. Um, but they are sick, sadistic bastards with no fear, and they are a lot of fun because when you know, there's that whole scene where they've got the catapult in the tiger's fate. And, oh, that was know, my favorite. Yeah, they bring the catapult out, and they've got you know, it's like, what's one catapult going to do? Well, it's loaded with explosives, right? And then they fire it, it lands, it kills a bunch of orcs, and then they're just laughing their ass off at what they just did. And everybody else in the field is like shocked, which has happened. Okay, and you know, I um, in my misbegotten army, you you uh, hung out with EOD a lot, and um, and some fisters, which are far forward observers. And, and both those seem very accurately described in your gnomes. They, they are. Um, the U probably it. has more fun. discipline. It was a misspent U, <laughs> but yeah. it was a lot of fun. So, so JR, what else do you like about the gnomes? I just like that they're so chaotic. I like that they're short. Hush, I'm not that short. Um, I, I like the chaotic angle to it and that you just did a little something different. It's like you know, murder midgets on ADHD with a little bit of crack yes. for, for good measure to calm them down. Um, so I really did like that. Um, I, the, the orcs were a little bit unexpected. I mean, it worked in your series, but, uh, you know, I was sort of, you know, grew up on Tolkien. The only good orc was a dead orc. You know, they were evil by very by their very existence. So that took some getting used to, but it worked for what you did. Um, and, and, and really the kind of orcs that you see in, in Steiger's Tigers is a a shadow of what the actual horde is like um, on, that, that Karis is going to run into where they're more disciplined and more organized. 
Um, they're, they're more educated. Um, these are for the ones that slipped through the gate before the gate was closed. And up until Steyer comes along, they were just living their lives as the tribes. And basically the dwarves were manipulating them to keep them from, keep them fighting amongst themselves as opposed to harassing them, if that makes sense. So, yeah. um, and then you get, you get Theric in the past where, um, you know, he has, become the king of the orcs only to have everything he struggled for basically ripped away from him. And, and it makes him a tragic figure, but it also makes him, it's also freeing because I can have a lot of fun with this character as well. Like when he kills, um, Sensetta in, um, the spoiler. spoiler. Yes. Okay. I like, I also liked how you did the magic where it was like a cost and the, you could almost like I had, they had to conserve their energy to have the magic to do the thing when it was needed. So they couldn't use it for the thing over here. And it's sort of the way you approached it as, as someone who studied history, almost like the Enigma machine where we could read their code, but we couldn't use it because if we use it, they know we had it kind of thing. Yeah. It, was, it was sort of described in that, that manner. And it's uh, both frustrating and, and, and sort of symmetrically beautiful the way you did it. So I really like that. Yeah, one of the things I hate with fantasy is when magic solves the problem, right? I don't, I don't want magic to solve the problem. I want magic to make things more complicated for the main character. I want the main character to reason things out and really use magic as just one other tool, uh, or the other characters use it as one other tool in their arsenal, whether it's a sword, or a catapult, whatever it is, to to solve the problem. Um, and I wanted to also make magic very rare. So you really don't see much magic in Steiger's Tigers. Um, and as you get further into the series, magic starts to become more pronounced. Uh, but at the same time, there's a cost to using it, um, like a paladin, right? When he heals, it costs him some of his own life force, the years that he has left to live. So, um, and, and he can only heal if the God basically, his God basically says yes. You know, this person's worthy of healing. Um, but at the same time, for the wizard, the few wizards that are around to use the magic, there is a cost. And they have to accumulate the, 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 the magic, the ability to use it. Like you've got Og, who is one of everybody's favorite characters in, in the Chronicle series, where he's holding on to so, so much magic, it's literally driving him insane. Where he's... You know, they'll laugh at the wrong moment or something like that. You know, um, it's it's just it's 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 a lot of fun, and but it also requires a lot of balancing because you know, when you like perfect example is the dragons in the book. They have magic. They're intelligent. They're their own creatures. One one dragon could devastate an army, and you know, so there has to be balance. If you if you don't, it's the nuclear option, and and basically. Um, I don't want, I, I, I want my characters to struggle and that's why they murder me. Yeah. Uh. Oops. Boomer oh, moment. Oh. I, I muted myself. So clearly the interview is winding down. You've been, been going at us for a little bit and I could keep talking, but then doc will murder me in my sleep because she's got to get up to go to work tomorrow. Um, so was oh, there anything about, something. <laughs> <laughs> it was, we record this at fun. nine. So it, it's, Almost 11. Um, so is there anything about Steiger's Tigers or the Chronicles of an Imperial Legionary Officer um, series? Man, that's a mouthful for a title. For yeah, a I wish I would changed it. I wish I had picked a different title for it, but everybody calls it the Silo series. 
So um, CIC, hello. Yeah. Um, so is there anything that we didn't ask about the series that you wanted to tell us before we wrap this up? Uh, no, it's, it's, um, it's, it's a dream that I have written something that, that people love and will read over and over and over again. Um, it's, you know, I had somebody message me today that basically went ahead and said, you know, I've, I've listened to uh, Stiger's Tigers the entire series 10 times. And I got this special badge on Audible as a result. Um, and I, it's just, I'm having a real, you know, I've had people, I've had the, the real humbling thing is I have people that email me and say, listen, um, I just want to thank you because you got me through chemotherapy or you got me through a really nasty divorce or, you know, my daughter died and, um, you know, um, I read your books and it was, it, it helped me get me through that, you know? Um, and it's not just one or two. It's, I, I get a lot of emails like this. And when I'm writing, I can have the worst possible day imagined. And I get an email from somebody and I realize my, my day is not as bad as their day. And I'm lucky and I'm blessed. So it keeps me motivated, keeps me writing. And um, I, I feel like I was kind of meant to write. Um, and this is really what I should be doing, entertaining people. Um, and I didn't, I didn't realize that before. So um, it's not work for me. It's fun. Like I can, I'll get up in the morning, have my coffee. And next thing you know, it'll be like four or five o'clock in the afternoon or evening and early evening. And um, I'll, I'll put in a, I'll keep writing until like nine, 10 o'clock at night after I put in the kids in my mind. So, but it's, um, it's, it's been a lot of fun. It's been an adventure writing it. Um, and I've really grown as not only a person, but as a writer as well. And I, I know I've got room to grow and um I'm just very thankful for everything that uh, that's come my way. All right. Um, and hopefully that's, that sticks around because it makes you fun to know. But um, as we wrap this up, and as usual, dear listener and, and um, viewer, the, the links will be in the show notes. But can you tell um, the audience how they can find you on the interwebs? Uh, they can find me on Facebook under Mark Allen Edelheit, E-D-E-L-H-E-I-T. They can find me on Twitter. Uh, you can find me on Patreon as well. We've got really cool stuff. I'm releasing a book. Elliot Ranger's Tale, one chapter at a time. We're almost done with it, and I'm going to release it. I'm going to keep doing it on there. It's, it's been a lot of fun. Um, and, um, you know, I give away all kinds of free things. I've got um, – I give away on um, Patreon and Facebook. I, I'll do contests. I'll give away free Audible credits. I'll give away uh, final read-through manuscripts, autograph proofs. Like, this is a perfect example. I'm going to be giving this away in a few days. And you can tell it's a proof because it's got the, the line that says not for resale here. So um, – you know, it's it's um, just do a search for Mark Allen Edelheit and you can find me. You can even follow me on Goodreads um, or wherever. Or you can check the show notes. And speaking of, uh, we've got so into the conversation, we forgot to do the giveaway. So if you're still with us and you should because we're <laughs> awesome, make a comment in the section when this premieres live and I will be there watching and the first two people win the prizes. So uh, this is the time to do it. You can win the We Are Legion shirt. Um, which is awesome. He's got some pretty good merch over on his website, which we'll link to as well. You can follow us on our website at anchor.fm backslash blasters, tack and tack blades, anchor.fm backslash blasters, dash and dash blades. We're on Twitter at SF underscore fantasy underscore show Sierra Foxtrot underscore fantasy underscore show. It's almost like the SF means sci-fi. You can email us at blasters and blades podcast at gmail.com. You can send all of the hate mail to Seska at blasters and blades podcast.com. We have a Facebook 
Facebook group, facebook.com backslash groups. That is important. Backslash groups, backslash Blasters and Blades podcast. Facebook.com backslash groups, backslash Blasters and Blades podcast. You can support the show for buy, over at buymeacoffee.com backslash author J.R. Handley. Be sure to put in the comment section that it is for the podcast. And I will make sure Nick Garber and Doc Seska are intoxicated. They will drink until their liver surrenders. Nobody likes a quitter. <laughs> or if you want, you can you can support us over on Anchor FM, uh, <laughs> Anchor.fm backslash Blasters dash and dash Blades for a monthly reoccurring payment for one dollar, five dollars, or ten dollars a month, and we appreciate anything and everything you throw away to keep the lights on. Doc, bring it home before you pass out from intoxication. <laughs> My, I'm good. My liver is good. We're happy. Thank you for spending your precious time with us for the absentee adult brain Nick Garber and the um. Definitely a fanboy, J.R. Hanley. I'm Zuska. This was the Blasters and Blades podcast. We'll be back next week, same time, with our same, with a new guest and some other great random topics, nerd culture, cheesy jokes, torturing J.R., things that go boom, all the goodness. Have a all good evening. Goodness.